Turn in your Bibles, church. Romans chapter 8. Romans, Romans <clears throat> chapter 8. We're almost done the chapter, almost done. We'll, we'll be done in about another three months. <laughs> uh, the, the, the wonderful truth is that we cannot rush through this one particular chapter. We just, we just cannot. <laughs> excuse me, um, Michael, excuse me. There's just so much material in this chapter that we have to, that we have to extract. We, we got to get it. We got to understand what it is the Lord was conveying through his servant, Paul the Apostle. <clears throat> say amen. Say amen when you find it. Romans, Romans chapter 8. Today we're going to be looking at a few verses. Hopefully we can get through them all. It's 1130, bottom half of the hour. Uh, all I need is an hour. Mm. Some of you say, well, you can preach all you want. I'm leaving in 30 minutes. <laughs> all right, Linda, keep it together. Keep it together. Romans chapter 8. You there? Say amen. amen. All right, look with me, verses 23 through 27. 23 through 27. And it reads as follows. And not only, not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we wait for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise... The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Father, we thank you so much for this particular passage of Scripture today. Thank you so much for the understanding in advance that you are going to give us from this particular passage. Father, we pray that you fill our hearts with understanding. We pray that you may help us, Father God, to not just to understand it, but to leave here, Lord God, with a, a solid, practical application of this text for our lives. Help us, Lord, as we continue to strive to know more about you, as we continue to groan or long for this redemption that Paul the Apostle has been talking about and that we've been discussing for the, for the past few weeks. Father, we thank you for this time in your presence. In Jesus' name, and God's people say, Amen. Amen, amen, amen. So last week we talked a lot about redemption. How many remember? How many of you were here last week? We talked a lot about redemption last week, and we did so from the context of the Holy Spirit's activity in our lives. How many of you can attest this morning that there is indeed Holy Spirit activity in your life? How many? Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. There's Holy Spirit activity in your life. So within that context, we also establish that due to God's promises, the, uh, <clears throat> due to God's promises, believers live with the burden. And I'm, and I say that in a good sense. We live with the burden of wanting to experience the fulfillment of this redemption that we've been talking about. This burden in this context is not a negative thing. It's a, it's a good thing. We live with this longing for the fulfillment of God's purpose in our lives. This burden in this particular text is referred to as a groaning. We've talked about that a lot last week and the week before. Uh, today we're going to continue with this particular to topic. But we're also going to add one to this conversation. Today we're going to talk a little bit about faith. In verse 24, we're not going to get ahead of ourselves at this moment. But in verse 24, Paul writes about, uh, he writes about hope as the one thing within us that spurs us on to pursue or to fulfill the things of God in our lives. And I'm so thankful for that. And to me, when I, when I read Hope, the term hope in this particular context, to me it sounds a lot, a lot like faith. And the reason for it is because faith and hope 
seem to go hand in hand. Look with me to verse 23. We're going to just jump right into this. Verse 23. And I'm not going to be as comprehensive uh, with this particular verse because if you remember, we also looked at this verse last week as well. It reads, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And the first thing that I want to say about this one particular verse is that it confirms that both Christians and God's creation are waiting eagerly for the day of redemption. How many of you were here last week? Let me see your hands once again. Then you would note, you would remember that last week, and if I'm not mistaken, the week before that as well, we talked a a little bit about creation. Um, To whom or to what was Paul referring when he used the word creation in this one particular text? I'm not going to get into that because we spent a lot of time with that last week. Uh, But suffice to say that with his use of the word creation, he, he was not referring to his rational creation like mankind or like angels or the devil demons. He was talking about the inanimate world, his material world, as well as the animal kingdom, etc. And we use the process of deduction from this particular passage to arrive to that particular conclusion. So today, the point is here that both God's material world, his material world and his animal kingdom, as well as those of us who know Jesus as Lord and Savior, we, ha- we live with this longing, with this immense burden for the revealing or the unfolding of God's redemption upon our lives. Amen, somebody. How many live like that today? How many? I don't know about you, but I live every single day. I live with a longing, with a passionate longing for God to complete the process He began in me. If you're writing down, if you're taking any notes, it's not in my text, but I'm thinking about it now. Philippians 1.6 is a really good verse that relates with what I just finished saying. And, and Paul the Apostle in that particular verse, he says that, listen, this work that God's begun in your life, He's going to fulfill it. He's going to complete it. The point is that we have, we've been given an, an assurance, an assurance. It's the idea that both creation and those of us who know Jesus are groaning with expectancy. But there's an important note that we have to make here, and I briefly touched on it already. And it's the fact that this groaning, as Paul uses the word, is not in the negative sense, as in under the burden of imperfection. Yes, to live life as a believer this side of heaven, we're constantly having to contend with the difficulties of sin. The inconsistencies that we live with from time to time because of sin's impact upon our lives. That's not the context here. He's talking about this longing for the fulfillment of redemption in our lives. There's a difference there. It's the result of our devotion to God's promises. How many of you remember the day exactly when you gave your heart and your life to Jesus Christ? Let me see. How many remember? How many remember? Mm, less than half. Less than half. It's probably an age thing. The older we get, the more. No, that's not it. No, she, she said, don't even go there. Don't even go there. Um, whatever the case might be, right? But I remember. I remember it was the second week of November 1989 for me. And ever since then, I've been dealing with this burden on the inside of me, longing for God to fulfill His work in my life. And oftentimes, I've made the mistake of, of, of um, equating it with the difficulties of sin in my life at the time. And I thought that the burden I had was always a result of my sin, and it wasn't. It's because God had given me some promises. Even then, He gave me some promises. I gave Him my heart, and ever since then, I just had this longing for wanting to know about God. Turn with me really quickly, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4. Second Corinthians 5, verse 4. Second Corinthians 5, verse 4. Paul the Apostle says there, he says, For while we are still in this tent, he's referring to our body, 
He says, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be undressed, but that we would be further dressed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So so you see, there he gives us a glimpse into what he meant by the use of his word groaning in Romans chapter 8. These passages relate with one another. This groaning is because of a longing for God's redemption to be fulfilled in our lives. That's a really, really good thing. Paul says that we groan because we desire to be dressed with the fullness of God. And secondly, go back to Romans 8. Secondly, with regard to this 23rd verse, notice Paul says not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait. So not just God's material world, and we talked about that uh, quite a bit last week. We talked about the earthquakes, and we talked about this, all these, this, this, the strength of nature and the way that it manifests or expresses itself. It's a longing for fulfillment, for redemption. We're not just the creation, but we, those of us who know Jesus, we long for the same thing. Last week we said that this doesn't apply to unbelievers. Because unbelievers are not longing for the day of redemption. No, not at all. We even stated that not even Satan is longing for that day. So Paul couldn't have been referring to him or demons. Not even angels, because angels are already in their perfect state. So in this one verse, the second point is Paul is referring to the the groaning or the burden that first century believers had regarding the fulfillment of redemption. They experienced the first fruits of the Spirit within them. The first fruits. In the Old Testament, it was talked about for many, many, many generations. For many years. But it wasn't until the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And after that, shortly thereafter, when the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, when His disciples, the 120 in the upper room, experienced the powerful indwelling of the Holy Spirit, even then they still longed for fulfillment, completion. The emphasis is that they still had this groaning in spite of the fact that the Holy Spirit dwelt within them. I think it was more about clarity than anything else. Let me ask you this. Isn't it common prior to salvation for people to believe that Christ will remove all their burdens once they commit their lives to Him? Isn't that common? I don't know about you, but somebody sold me bad information. When I came to Christ, I kind of had this impression, ignorantly so, that after giving Jesus my heart, that all my problems were going to be resolved. That every single one of them. And so Paul the Apostle, he lays this out in some sense. To give clarity so that people don't misunderstand. Just because we come to Christ as they did, the first fruits of the Spirit, it did not mean they were were going to live burden-free lives. On the contrary, God has given me another burden. A burden that was heavier than the first one. But it's a good burden because it's a burden that He assists me with. That He helps me with. It's a burden that He carries for me. It's this longing for complete Fulfillment. Let me move on. Uh, We have to remember this because we have the Holy Spirit living within us that we are able to groan for the redemption that has been promised. Groaning takes place in the heart and it is reinforced by the hope we live with as believers. So this burden that we have, this groaning that exists on the inside of us, is reinforced by the hope that we've been given for salvation. And the more you know Jesus, the more you give your life over to Jesus Christ, the more it intensifies, but in a good way. The more you fall in love with Jesus Christ. How many love with Jesus Christ here this morning? I don't know about you, but with every passing day, I groan a little bit more. I fall in love with Jesus just a little bit more. Because His promises unfold in my life. As He sanctifies my life, as He removes my inconsistencies, He he deposits within me a greater understanding, greater perception and perspective about the wonderful truths of His Word. 
And so it intensifies this burden within me. And it's all due to the hope He's given me. Look to verses 24 and 25. Because in, this, in these verses, Paul, he explains this hope. He explains this hope. It reads, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The first point here is, notice he begins with the words or with the phrase, For in this hope we were saved. What hope? What hope is he talking about? Well, we have to go back to the preceding verses to understand what he was talking about. And it's the hope that one day we will be fully redeemed. It's the hope that one day we will be fully redeemed. Notice, look at verse 23. The end, the last portion of verse 23, it reads, For we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. That's the hope we live with every single day. It's the hope associated with the gospel message about salvation in Christ Jesus. In other words, we believe what the Bible teaches about the reason for which Jesus Christ came in the first place. We accept it and we live with it. That's the hope that he was referring to. How many are living with a new hope today? A living hope. Come on, let me see. Let me see. Work with me here. If for no other reason, I need to do this to keep you awake. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> the second point, point concerning these two verses is that Paul makes, look at the verse, look at verse 24. He, Paul makes the distinction between two types of hope. You've got to get this because this is crucial to our faith. He makes the distinction between two types of hope. In verse 24, he refers to a hope that is temporal in nature. One that requires natural perception. Let's read that verse. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? So he's referring to a natural, temporal hope. Not a spiritual one. Our sight and our senses are involved in that particular hope. In the process regarding that particular hope. For example, at this present time, right now, this very moment, I don't have to hope for anybody to show up. Why? Because you are already here. I can see that you're here, so there's no hope required there in that particular example. Just use your imagination to create a series of other examples there. Secondly, look at verse 25. He refers to a hope that is eternal in nature. Read that verse to yourself. He refers to a hope that is eternal in nature. One that requires faith in order for it to be experienced. It requires faith in order for it to be experienced. Has nothing to do with your naked eyes. Has nothing to do with some temporal experience, some temporal moment that's here for for a moment and then vanishes away. This hope cannot be handled naturally. It cannot be seen with the naked eye. It has to be received and handled spiritually by faith. If God says, I will give you eternal life if you accept the sacrifice of my son for your sins, that has to be received by faith alone because we cannot see or handle God with our natural man. My faith, my salvation rather, is rooted and grounded in the, this eternal type of hope that I live with every single day. Has anybody here ever seen God? Has he ever materialized himself in front of you? When somebody offered you Jesus, when somebody spoke to you about the cross, the gospel message, you gave your heart to Jesus Christ because you literally saw Christ in front of you. Anybody here like that? No, not at all. Which means that our hope, our salvation is rooted and grounded in this second type of hope. This, it's an eternal hope, one that we received by faith and by faith alone. 
if you live your life according to your feelings and your emotions, that's not this type of faith. That's not this type of hope, rather. If you live your Christian life by sight and your life unfolds, everything within you, everything about you is determined by what you see, by what you hear, or by what you can sense with the natural part of your life, then that is not this type of hope. It's very well possible that you do not know Jesus. In other words, faith today allows us to take ownership of the hope God has given us for tomorrow. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the, the substance of things hopeful, the evidence of things the evidence of things not seen. That may not necessarily be the version that you appreciate most. But nonetheless, it captures the meaning there. It's a hope based upon things we have yet to discover, yet to see, yet to experience. But yet we take ownership of it right here and right now. And your natural man and my natural man has nothing to do with that process. This type of hope does not rely on what it sees. It does not depend upon our senses or look to a naturalistic worldview for guidance in matters of the Spirit. Did you get that? Extremely very important. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 in... I'm sorry, James. Go to James. Go to James. I want you to see something here. Because James talks about this hope faith relationship that I just briefly spoke about. Go to James chapter 2. James says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith Save him. Verse 14. Can that faith save him? Can it? It cannot. Absolutely not. Because there's no intimacy there. There's no eternal hope connected to it. Inactive faith is hopeless. Inactive faith is hopeless faith. Check, take a look at the screen the way I spelled that out there. Inactive faith, like the faith that exists in the lives of unbelievers, is really not faith at all. Because there's no faith connected to it. There's no eternal value or weight of glory in that type of faith. There's no hope in it. It is therefore hopeless. If you're still in James chapter 2, look at verse 19. Verse 19, James chapter 2. It says, you believe that God is one... You do well, even the demons believe and shudder. In other words, it doesn't do the enemy any good to believe because there's no hope in him. There's no intimacy with our Heavenly Father in the enemy. He has given us the, the intimacy that God... I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. There's no fundamental faith in the enemy at all. There is no faith. There is no hope in the enemy at all. So Paul, James rather, James, he actually makes a distinction. I can't spend too much time here. But James actually makes the distinction between faith and believing. They're not the same thing. At least not in the sense that he uses it. Uses those two words in James chapter 2. But that's another message for another time. For you and I, the idea of verse 25, go back to Romans. Go back to Romans. For you and I, the idea of verse 25 is that when it comes to our faith and our longing to be with the Lord, we need to patiently exercise the hope that God has given us in His promises. We need to patiently exercise the hope that God has given us in His promises. It's going to take some time. We don't know when the sky is going to split wide open. We don't know when the trumpets are going to sound. We just don't know when that fulfillment is going to take place. We know that the hope within us is a good faith. It's a good burden to have. It's a longing for fulfillment. 
But we need to be patient. We need to be patient. We need to be patient. If you're taking down notes, don't turn there. I'm going to read it to you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24. It reads, He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Has God promised you anything? How many promises did He give you when you gave your life over to Him? Numbers, I believe it's Numbers, Numbers 23 verse 19, if I'm not mistaken. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that He should lie, neither a son of man that He should repent. Has He said and shall He not do it? Or has He spoken and shall He not bring it to pass? Whatever He's promised you. With regard to your salvation, listen, you can take it to the bank. It's only a matter of time. It's going to come to pass. Now, because of the journey that we're on, because, because this journey that we're on is difficult, and from time to time we will run out of patience. Anybody here has lost patience? Close my eyes, I don't want to see. Listen, this, this, this journey is just not easy. From time to time we run out of it. Sherry, right? Sherry? Sherry came in here kicking and screaming. I mean, kicking and screaming. It's a fact, and some of us are kicking and screaming right now. So the point is that from time to time, we do in fact run out of patience. But Paul gives us a major assurance as we move on to the next verse. He gives us a major, major, major assurance in the next couple of verses. And it's the assurance that we are not alone. Amen, somebody. Did you hear that? It's the assurance that we are not, a home, not alone. That our faith is not hopeless. That our faith is not hopeless. If you know Jesus, you have a living hope living on the inside of you. Our risen Savior resides within us in the form of His powerful and amazing Holy Spirit. Verse 26, read that with me. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness... For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. With groanings too deep for words. The first point that I have for you this morning is we must not take for granted the presence of the Holy Spirit within us. We must not take for granted the presence. Of the Holy Spirit within us. Paul writes, and I quote, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. He exists within us. Not that He exists around us, although that is true as well. Because God is omnipresent, so He exists all around us. But the emphasis here is that He lives within us. And that's, important. that's an important point to make, because sometimes we, we overlook that. Our, our, our difficulties become so heavy and so difficult to handle that we lose sight of the fact that God Himself resides within us. And if we can just fix our minds on that truth at all times, whether the sky is blue over our heads, metaphorically speaking, or it's overcast and thundering with lightnings, etc., it doesn't matter. We should be able to retain this truth in our hearts, and in our minds. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. God lives with me. He's in me. He's inside of me. He's inside of me. That is extremely valuable. Believers are inhabited with the literal presence of God. But there's an added emphasis to be made due to Paul's use of the word likewise. Look back in your verse, verse 26. He uses that word likewise to begin that particular verse. It connects us to the preceding verse, doesn't it? When he uses the term likewise, the meaning is in the same way. In the same way that we are to fight the good fight until we are glorified. In the same way the Holy Spirit is committed to helping us until that day comes to pass. That's the emphasis. In those preceding verses, he talks about 
this fight that we're in, this journey that we're on, this groaning, this longing that we live with on a daily basis, and that we are to be patient as we go through that particular process. And then he starts verse 26 with, Likewise, in the same way that we are to be committed to the process, the Holy Spirit is committed to the process. Listen, that's invaluable. Because sometimes we feel that God's abandoned us. We have certain, certain, a certain, met, certain metrics that we use to sort of gauge whether God is operating in our lives or not. Or to what degree He is operating in our lives. And we put our spiritual feelers out there to, to, to determine these things. And we don't, when we don't feel a certain type of way, we, we resort to believing that God has forsaken us. Or that God has abandoned us. And yet over and over again, put this down, Hebrews 13.5. Hebrews 13.5. He will never leave us nor... Let's try that one more time. He will never leave us nor nor forsake us because He lives within us. John 14, I'm going to read something to you to this point. John 14, verse 1 and 16 through 17. John 14, 1 and 16 through 17. It reads, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. That's the statement that Jesus opened up the chapter with to his disciples and everybody else that was listening. Believe in God. Believe in me. And then what does he do? He transitions over to talk about the Holy Spirit. Listen. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know Him, for He dwells with you, and He will be in you, and He will be in you. That's amazing. Extraordinary. The second point is, what did Paul mean by his use of the word weakness? Now, we've got we to pay close attention here. What did, what did Paul mean by his use of of the word weakness. The word weakness or infirmity, depending on the, the version that you're reading, does not only refer to the struggles that we go through on a daily basis. And listen, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit lives with me to help me through all of my circumstances. Not just one from time to time, but He helps me with all of my circumstances. But weakness... In this particular passage and in the Bible also means, quote, the inability to produce results. The inability to produce results, which means that we cannot accomplish anything without the Holy Spirit's help. We're talking about faith here. We're talking about Christianity here. Weakness in our weakness. If we were to be left alone... By God Himself, no comforter, no helper, no Holy Spirit. How much of this responsibility would you and I be able to fulfill? How much of it? None of it. Because it's just not possible without the Holy Spirit. The condition that unbelievers are in is exactly the point. They are in that particular condition because they don't have the Holy Spirit's help. Life is too complex. Life is too difficult. It's too comprehensive. There's just too much to have to handle. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. Especially considering that the, the Christianity, the standard of life that you and I are living, the standard is higher. And we cannot get over it without the help of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. The third point here in that verse is, without Him, we are lost sheep. Without Him, we are lost sheep. Paul writes, quote, For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. He literally helps us with our prayer life. We, we, we know that. When I get down on my knees or on my face before God, the Holy Spirit does, in fact, help me with my prayer life. I don't always have the words, right? 
The meaning is that without Him, we are incapable of praying according to the Word of God. But there's more. Because if we cannot pray according to the will of God, then how can we possibly live out the will of God? Let me give you an illustration here. I'm going to take you back to the Old Testament. I'm not going to read a passage, but think about that particular day when Saul, King Saul, and his armies were facing the Philistines. And no one in his camp would dare go out and challenge Goliath. Goliath was too big. He was too strong. He was too experienced. And there were a lot of other reasons why the, no one in the, in, the, in the camp of the Israelites or the Hebrew people would actually go out there until King David, until, now he wasn't a king yet, but until David, he heard about what was happening. He heard about all the bad things that Goliath had said about the people, the people of God and about God himself. And he made up his mind. He made up his mind that he was going to contend with. He made up his mind that he was going to challenge and that he was actually going to succeed in a fight against Goliath. Why? Because he was totally dependent upon the activity of the Holy Spirit upon his life. If you read that particular passage, you would note that the Holy Spirit was upon young David. And it was because of that power, it was because of that anointing that he was actually able to succeed and that he knew in advance that he was able to. What what does that mean for you and I here today? It means that you and I can accomplish anything with the help of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can't take this for granted. Without him, we are lost sheep. But with him, Philippians 4.13, anybody, out loud, anybody. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.19 And my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And we know that the Holy Spirit, being the administrator of the gospel here on earth, the one who operates in us and around us, He brings all of these things to pass in our lives. And we need not fear. Somebody here is struggling with, with life. Somebody here probably struggling uh, with your marriage. Somebody here this morning is probably struggling with your, you're probably struggling with your health. Uh, or with bills, with finances. Listen, the news is, the information is, the declaration is that you are not alone. And that God is with you. That he's going to see you through this situation. The sky will be blue again over your head. You are able to overcome because of He who lives within you. Look at verse, the the second part of verse 26 and verse 27. I want to read them together because they go together. It says, But the the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The the reference here is to a communication, a dialogue that exists between God the Holy Spirit, who who exists within us, and God the Father in heaven. In fact, that's that's not even right. Because it's a dialogue, it's communication between the entire Godhead bodily. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all involved in conversation because of us. To help us, to lead us. I'm going to give you an illustration here. I remember long ago when Gabriel, my son Gabriel was uh, maybe three, maybe four years old. And his mother and I used to go outside, we used to go to the park, etc., walk down the sidewalk, do simple stuff outside of the house. And for a long time, we would have to hold his hand. My Gabriel at the time was really feisty. He was, he was um, an explorer, to say the least. He wanted to put his hands on everything and everything. And one day, um, his mother and I decided to give him some grace. So we let go of his hand and allowed him to walk along in front of us or maybe from time to time slightly behind us or alongside us. We gave him a little, a little grace. 
And, and I can remember today, I can remember to this day, the, the, the incredible surprise on his face. Whenever, right before he experienced a consequence, or the consequence to a bad decision on his part, his mother and I were right there to keep him from hurting himself. Or to just simply protect himself. For example, there were times when we walked down the sidewalk, and you know, parents, you know, that if you're walking down your sidewalk or in a park someplace, you don't let your child extend a hand to just any type of dog. Right? Right or wrong? You, you, you just don't do that. Or any animal, for that matter. You just don't do it. Because given, given the right circumstances, that child can lose a hand. So I remember, my, I remember Gabriel easily just innocently reaching for, and right before the dog lunges for him, his mother or I would pull his hand back to keep him safe. And there's so many other examples just like that. And I remember, the point is that I remember the surprise on his face. How is it possible, this is what his face said to me, how is it possible that when I needed you the most, you were actually there when I thought you weren't even paying me any attention at all? The fact is that every time we went out, his mother and I collaborated. We communicated with one another on his behalf to make sure that he was kept safe. Even, especially when he least expected it. What's this, these verses saying to us in that regard? There's dialogue. There's dialogue in heaven and on earth. There's a communication, a deep-seated, intimate conversation that's taking place on our behalf. God the Holy Spirit, with groanings too deep for words. You ever have a... You ever listen in, you ever tried to listen in on somebody's conversation? Hmm, somebody last week was talking about me, right? Because I heard my name. But they were too far for me to hear what they were actually saying. They were, they were too far. Well, in, in some similar sense, this conversation on the inside of us from the Holy Spirit, communicating with God the Father in heaven, and with Jesus Christ who's seated at the right hand of God, there's this conversation that's taking place, and it's too deep for words. You can combine all the languages in the world and still would not be able to, to capture the essence, the, 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 just the profoundness of that conversation that's taking place. And it's all on our behalf. Like Gabriel and I, when we were looking out for him, when he least expected it, God is always looking after us. To make sure that we do not lose faith. To make sure, remember the context is this groaning, this longing, longing for the things of God. To make sure that we stay the course. To make sure that we don't, we don't get discouraged. To make sure that we don't become unstable. To make sure that we don't veer off course. To make sure that our lives continue being rooted and grounded in the things of God. Thank you, Jesus. The meaning here should be clear. It's about an intimate communication that exists between God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 26. Verse 26, I'm almost done. Verse 26 reveals that the Holy Spirit is communicating heavenward. It says the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And verse 27 reveals that the Lord in heaven is listening. Verse 27 reads, And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. There's a dialogue taking place there. But notice, notice, look at the end of verse 27. It says, The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. It means that there exists a will greater than ours. It means there exists a will greater than ours. It means that the Holy Spirit is communicating with heaven in such a way so as to bring about the transformation of our hearts. God, God through His Spirit, He wants to lead us. He wants to guide us. He wants to instruct us. He wants to... to it's about Him. It's about Christ in us. What is it? Paul the Apostle stated in Galatians 2.20... He says, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, 
I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's a consecration there that Paul the Apostle was talking about. But that consecration takes place because of the Holy Spirit living and residing within us. I want to close by reading a few verses to you from John chapter 16. John 16 verses 12 through 16. Listen to this. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever the heart, whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. I like that. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he would take what is mine and declare it to you. That's wonderful activity. Can I get the worship team to come up? That's wonderful activity regarding the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen. Let me get you to stand with me, church, as we move towards our last worship song. As believers, we are to... Live our lives rooted and grounded on God's will for our lives. It's about His will for us and not the other way around. It's about the unfolding of His purpose in our lives. And it's a profound responsibility to say the least. But according to this one particular passage, we know that the Holy Spirit lives within us. He gives us the strength that is necessary for us to fulfill God's mandate. Fulfill his responsibilities in our lives. Amen, church. Pray with me. Bow your heads with me for a moment. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you this morning for the understanding that you've given to us. But I pray, Lord God, for your people, for myself, that we may not stop short of just simply hearing from this particular passage today. That we may run home Father God, or to wherever it is we go, that we may study the scriptures, that we may be like the Bereans, that we may reach to you by your Holy Spirit, so that we may glean wisdom from this particular text, or add information that you may want to share with us. Father, give us understanding. Help us to run with this particular passage. And thank you so much, Father God, for this wonderful truth regarding the existence of your presence in our hearts, in our souls, in our spirits, in our bodies, around us. Thank you so much, Father God, for being with us and for loving us the way that you do, for carrying this burden, for not leaving us, for not forsaking us. Indeed, for carrying the burden for us. We praise you, Lord God. These things we pray in Jesus' name and God's people say Amen.
Hallelujah. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much that today we can stand here. We can even sit here and we can sing hallelujah. Thank you so much for the finished work of the cross. Thank you so much for what Calvary means within each and every one of us here today. Bless us, Father God, as we prepare to go our separate ways. Be with us mightily, powerfully. Lead us and guide us by your Holy Spirit. And help us to, to depend upon you with all our hearts, minds, souls, and our strength. These things we pray, Lord God, giving you glory and honor in Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen. Amen.